Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to On Point. This episode, I sit down with Earl from Cutter Stabilizers to talk about my setup and what I can do to basically have a better stabilizer system or a better shooting experience, or what can I do to make me more accurate. I've wanted to have this conversation for quite a while, talking to somebody that really knows stabilizers and how to set up a bow properly and what to look for and with signs that you may be a little this or that. And uh, I, we covered a lot of stuff. I had a lot of really genuine questions that I wanted answered and Earl provided a lot of really good answers and information and I really appreciate it because moving forward I've already applied some of the things that you're going to hear and moved my stabilizer weights around a little bit and um, just really working on my shot process and my form and, and all sorts of things right now and so um, this definitely poured into that and I hope that you guys get a lot out from this because I know I personally did so outside of that thank you Earl for coming on to the show thank you everybody for tuning in and I will see you at the end. Bye. All right. Well, I'm ready to get this thing rolling. What about you? Yeah, let's do it, man. Sweet. All right. Well, um, let's start off with, with an introduction here. Um, I've been wanting to have a stab guy on here for a long time. I almost pinned uh, Greg Poole into doing a stab episode, and then we just could never put it together. <laughs> uh, and then you and I have had a heck of a time putting it together, too. So... Um, Earl, why don't you go, uh, why don't you start off with a kind of an elevator sales pitch of who you are, what you do, and, and we'll, uh, get into this thing. Sure. I'm Earl Stroh. I'm from Denver, Colorado. I'm the owner and creator of Cutter Stabilizers, hundred percent made in America stabilizer company, kind of geared towards the Western hunter. Uh, I was kind of born out of necessity for me to reconnect with my passion, which is archery and, uh, tie together there's some some cool machining skills that i acquired over the years and uh it's really grown into something that's turned into a really cool project and it's it's, it's where the passion is so uh, it's it's grown because of that and i'm super stoked about that how long have you guys been around so we started up in 2019 and we've pretty much experienced thousand percent sales increase every year since then that's crazy i know you got a lot of my buddies shooting them uh I think you got Guy shooting them, and then a bunch of the guys that Guy knows, I think you got them shooting them, and then um, I'm shooting them now, and I really like them. And so you've got, a, you've got a good product, man. So I can see why you're growing. Yeah, it's been super cool. And uh, uh, the Eastman's guys are shooting them all. Brian Barney was, was pretty fundamental in the initial development and prototype stage for us. Um, I know the dudes over at the Lethal Podcast, are shooting them and there's some really cool guys as well and then um, yeah. <clears throat> brandon mcdonald the youtube guy yep um he's shooting them as well we're actually going out on an antelope antelope hunt here in colorado this year so that should be pretty entertaining yeah no he, brandon seems like him and i've talked quite a bit he seems like a pretty cool guy but uh um yeah you definitely got him in the hands of a lot of guys and i'm sure that's definitely helping too but um you know just through my through me using them um, I know that I personally w have been really impressed. I, I took them, sighted in with them pretty quickly and then started shooting a few D 3d shoots with them. And my scores went up a little bit, um, which I've always already using. I like the stabs I was already using. I was using spiders and he's a local guy to me. Um, but yours are just a little bit more of what I like in almost every category. And so just a smaller diameter, uh, kind of a rod and just a little bit sleek. It's just a sleeker look. It just feels really well built. And, um, and the scores don't lie. I mean, my scores were going up and I wasn't shooting more or anything or practicing. It was just a little bit better stabilizing on the shot and a little bit more easier 
shot to execute while it was on target. And so, um, and I haven't had any problems with durability or anything. So I, I definitely think that you're onto a good product, man. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's, that's no accident. You know, the, the goal was to create something that was incredibly lightweight, as rigid as possible without generating unnecessary vibration and, uh, getting rid of any additional vibration. You know, today's bows are so quiet and so dead in the hand that, the last thing we want is to, to add vibration. So there's actually, you know, one of the cool things about them is you don't need any external, you know, rubber nodes on the outside of the bar. Like so many of these, you know, small bar manufacturers are doing and you, you know, you go to all the trouble to, to make a small bar just to put a big rubber wind catcher on the outside of it, you know? So that's, that's what we did is we put it all on the inside. Yeah. Well, I, uh, you and I were talking before the podcast is like, I'm, I know and you're from Denver, Colorado, he said, and, and I'm like, man, it seems like you're kind of like designing these things for Western hunters. And I know that what will work for a Western guy pretty much will work for an Eastern guy, but it just seems like what you're coming out with. Um, and when I, when I'm saying that it's, it's like not, not to crap on other companies or anything like that, but there's a lot of other companies like the old S coils, um, you know, style, the four inch, you know, little rubber stabilizers that literally don't do anything. Um, that a lot of, you'll see a lot of white tail guys with those shorter ones that are in tree stands or, or, uh, blinds and stuff. And it's like, you know, 12 inch, super sleek, super small diameter. Everything's just really sleek is I'm going to keep coming back to that word. Cause that's really what it is. And, uh, it just seems like you're gearing towards a Western style kind of setup. And where are we at with that? No, totally. And they, I mean, it's not an accident that the shortest bar that we offer is an eight inch because we're trying to do educate our customer base in finding that having a slightly longer bar is, is not a hindrance. You know, I mean, the only time that you'll ever run into any issues is if you're physically enclosed by anything like a box blind or a ground blind. Mm -hmm. I mean, that being said, I shot my Turkey this year out of a ground blind with the 12 inch front bar. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's all about, there's a slight, slight learning curve to figuring out how to number one, carry your bow, how to, how to set up your, ground blind or whatever you're in to get it to do what you need it to but at the end of the day you know the longer the lever the better results we're going to accomplish as far as stabilization and i mean you look at uh the guys that are hunting with the the quiver the quivalizer yeah that thing's 20, 20 inches long man you know i tried that and it may it was on my bow for about a month to two months <laughs> yeah it was, it's it's super cool inside it was so you get out and there's a crosswind <laughs> and then you have a kite that's exactly what it was and i had a lot of guys that were like oh no just stick with it it was like almost its own cult following i'm like man you know totally yeah i mean i it's just funny how it these products cult. that's funny yeah well it's just you know red team blue team doesn't it does <laughs> there's a cult to everything it seems like and it just seems like the quivalizer and i, I it's a good good i think it is a good product it's it, you know it's versatile it has its place not my you know setup but you know, it has its place <laughs> and and you know if if that's what somebody wants to use that's what somebody wants to use and and um you know i was i was being sold on it by a few different guys that were that just love the quivalizer and like oh you well you can reload faster you can do this i'm like well it's just it's just not as accurate and it's it's loud it's it just yep. it's everything it's everything a stabilizer should not be because you're giving up the fact that it's a quivalizer or a quiver I'm yeah like, i mean you think about 
if you feel like taking an ounce of weight off of your stabilizer every time you shoot, then maybe it's for you. But I mean, yeah, think of it that way. You know, an ounce is like you know four hundred and forty grains or something like that, mm-hmm. which is about as much as some most people's arrows. You know what I mean? Yeah, the average guy's arrows. I mean, I've done a lot of little little polls and questionnaires, and you're in about. Oh, I forget what it was, but like a third of your shooters are shooting between a 400 and 450 grain arrow. A, f- a third of your shooters in general, just period. It might even be sure. more than that. I forget. I have to go back and look at the numbers, but it was insane. Like how much, and that's just because that's a, that's a regular arrow without anything done to it with a hundred grain or 125 grain head. That's the reason that is totally. the most popular, but um, a little bit of a rabbit hole, but so yeah, man, I, I've I've tried I've tried plenty of things on my bow and and um, heard the sales pitches and and really, it's it's the style of stabilizer that I like is the one that you know you have that's just it's just simple it's sleek and it cut down on the vibration and it and it and it settled my pin down and it did exactly what it was supposed to do. There's no fancy anything bells or whistles with it. And, uh, and I, I, and, and it seems tough. I mean, it's, it's, it legitimately seems tough and I'm really freaking hard on my gear and I just feel like it's just another thing that I'm not going to have to worry about breaking all my bow. It's, it's, it's something that's not going to just randomly fail on me. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. I mean, to, to my knowledge, there's been one that's been broken, uh, and the guy endowed his motorcycle and landed on his bow, not dropping any names, but it starts with a B and ends with Ryan Barney. No. Oh. <laughs> well, I don't ride four wheelers, so I don't think we're going to have to worry about that. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Don't don't bring your bow to the X Games and expect it to be okay. Right. Well, so I guess my my questions and, and what I would want to learn uh, talking to a stabilizer guy is basically, you know, if I was if I was wanting to better stabilize my setup and and, and I started shooting a back bar about a year two years ago I forget uh, two years ago maybe somewhere around there and um, just had avoided it for a long long time because I don't want to keep adding shit to my bow and then having to feel like I'm incompetent without it I don't know if that makes sense but like I don't want to have to add a back bar or a sidebar or a, you know I'll have to add a nose button and then I'll have to add the grip tape and, and I know I'm picking on Bomar there, but um, <laughs> you know, like I don't want to have to have to add uh, like a military complex in order to shoot my bow, you know, accurately. I've shot bows for a lot of years and I was shooting just as good groups, you know, a few years ago back when I was shooting more. Um, but you know, my groups are just as tight or were tighter then than they, than they were now. But yet I have more things that can kind of go wrong on my bow. And so um, I want I want to balance that, but I also want to balance the most accurate I can be out in the woods, and also peace of mind. And so, what would you what would you direct, or what would you have to say to that for someone that's just trying to trying to figure out what's best for them? So it's it's one simple word, and that's forgiveness. You know what I mean? It's it's two different things when we're shooting in the backyard on flat ground in the summertime in our sandals and shooting at a living animal on the side of a you know, uneven terrain with a crosswind and something that doesn't want to get shot. So it's all well and good when we're able to check our form, check our footing, check our anchor, check our level, all that good stuff. But when you take away even one of those, those small aspects of comfort and you introduce something as simple as 
a side hill where your top limb wants to fall to the downhill side and you might forget to check your bubble that's that could be the difference between a heart shot and a gut shot you know what i mean right right i just you know i've i've tested a few um you know different stabs out there and started playing with with the side bracket my main concern was having a bracket that would stay put and that basically you know i was on a sled springs hunt um sorry for everybody that was worried about me using the unit but i had a horrible hunt there last year so you can have that unit but um so i I was on a good elk hunt last year uh in oregon and uh i was strapping my bow to my pack and i ate crap probably twice in like 20 days but the the amount of pressure i was strapping my pack onto my bow or my bow onto my pack was enough that over time and all the jarring from the from you know one day we rode i think we rode like 20 miles on bikes in one day all that jarring and and jostling made my me might not even maybe a 16th of an inch out of adjustment but that's quite a bit when you're you know you're going to shoot 60 yards and now your sidebar bracket you know adjusted a 16th of an inch um that doesn't sound like a lot but that's you know at least a few inches if not six inches at 60 yards depending on how much weight you have on the side there and for me it was at least yeah four to six inches and, and i totally noticed it it was messing with me and then i just found out every time i was grabbing my bow i would check my hash marks on my bracket and it was just like it just was detracting away from me focusing on what i should have been focusing on um so i guess you know if if a guy's wanting to go with a bracket um and 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 have that stability on those uphill and downhill and those angled shots what would you kind of suggest there i would suggest waiting about one month until we release ours it's going to solve a <laughs> lot of problems <laughs> what's well, good to hear. and it's been uh it's been in development i think guys started started playing with this thing uh last november um really and this has been it's been such a project man like i uh I don't have any formal training with 3d modeling or, or anything like that. And I basically sat in front of a computer for six months and learned how, how to do 3d modeling, design this bracket, got a prototype done, you know, figured out that I did have some shortcomings in my 3d modeling experience. You know, the, the bracket showed up with a hole that was supposed to be tapped that mm. wasn't tapped. You know what I mean? So mm. I had to, you know, figure out how to do that and fix that. And I don't know how much you know about prototyping, but it is very expensive. That's what I hear. Uh, luckily, I haven't had to go through that. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, very luckily. But uh, I mean, we're we're to the point now where we're on to our what should be our production version, and I I have prototypes that should be in my hands within a couple of weeks, and I'm I'm really hoping and crossing my fingers that they're going to be here um, before season. So basically, it's a it's a bracket that you're guaranteeing won't won't come out of adjustment. Yeah, totally. And I feel like guaranteeing that is a very realistic option because of how it's designed. It's it's mechanically unable to move without it being in pieces, essentially. Well, um, I was getting ready to take my uh, my my back bar off literally today um, at the range, and then I was going to have to reside in, um, but. I don't know. You got me second guessing that now. Cause if you're going to come out with it here shortly, maybe I'll, maybe I'll try and pick one up, but 
it it just to me, man. It just it just I like I said, I don't want to have to. I keep adding shit to my bow just to feel like I'm shooting the same as I was prior. And it's like uh, the industrial military complex, I think is what they call it. But and I've, right. I feel like I'm getting that with my bow, you know. <laughs> right, right, yeah. And I mean, honestly, that shouldn't be something that you that you have to worry about. You know, we we spend all this money on, on buying good stuff. You know, certain certain rests or sites or whatever it may be. You know, you over the time over the years of spending time out in the woods and and seeing what shortcomings your setup has. That's that's how we end up on these products that we spend our hard-earned dollars on. And that's, that's kind of where we're going with this bracket is, you know, we argue geared towards the bow hunter. Um, you know, most of these manufacturers are target first and hunting is a, a dollar grabber as an afterthought. And, uh, you know, we're kind of the opposite in, in that regard. So this bracket is going to have features that, that are going to be particularly useful to bow hunters and, uh, that's what we're super proud of. So, I mean, it's going to be, it's going to have all the, the stuff that you want for, for hunting offset bracket and, you know, security, durability, uh, functionality, and, uh, the adjustment will still be there, but we're going to take a slight cut as far as adjustment for strength, which I think is, is a benefit, honestly, mm -hmm. you know, if you get your setup dialed in and it never moves, that's, that's huge. I would be totally on board with giving giving a little bit of adjustment because I don't need it to be infinitely or whatever adjustment. Like I don't need a million different adjustments. I need it to be really, really close, which you can get, um, you know, with like if you're using like a micro tooth or something. But you could you could get it really freaking close. You could get that e more than sixteenth inch um, adjustment out of it. I think if you if you sure. if, a, if a guy did it, which is more than enough, you know. And then you can also play with the weights, and that's just a whole nother realm. Of, totally of getting it so it basically it is if you add the angles with the weights you can get pretty much what you want it may take a little bit more playing around not not in let's be honest most most bow hunters or most uh yeah well i guess we could say most bow hunters probably won't even be able to tell the difference i don't think um if there is less than a 16th of an inch adjustment or um, you know, I don't think a lot of people can outshoot that. I don't think most people can outshoot that. I'm, I'm basing that off of seeing how a lot of people shoot it <laughs> at 3d shoots with all the bells and whistles. And then something comes out of adjustment and they're still, I don't know. I that's just a pure, my personal opinion there, but same thing with like shoot out shooting a 0.001 to a 0 0.003 straightness. I know I personally can't do it, um, on a, on an arrow. But totally. I, I, so I think there is, there is an argument to be made to give up adjustability for, um, I guess, I don't know what the word is for sure. Not moving. Yeah. Yeah. I don't security or durability. They're, they're kind of intertwined, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I totally agree. And you know, I mean, it's, it's like two degree or three degree offset who gives a shit, honestly, you know, if, if you're able to, to consider, consistently hit what you're aiming at then that's that's the goal at the end of the day and um as far as that that micro tunability like if if you have good fundamentals and you're you know the biggest thing that affects how your bow is positioned is your bow hand and your bow shoulder as long as those two things are consistent then then you'll have a really good foundation to to build off of um 
And I mean, as far as being able to tell that, you know, 16th inch difference, we'll kind of, I don't want to jump ahead, but we'll lead into something else as far as, as choosing the length and weight for your, your stabilizers, um, watching what your pin does on the target. Mm. And you have to be, be really in tune with, with what's going on during your shop process to better hone in on that perfect setup for you. Is there a uh, rule of thumb or ratio on how much weight you should have out front versus how much weight you typically need out back? Generally, there is. And, and I almost commented on a picture because I saw that you had it backwards. <laughs> but it's, <laughs> it's generally the amount of weight you have on the front, you want to at least double that on the back. Double on the back. Yep. So a two to one ratio will get you really close. Well, I'll have to play around with mine then. Cause I'm like wondering, I'm like, man, okay, well, you know, I'm, I'm still learning the back bar front bar game and I'm like, well, it feels really good. And, and, um, and then my buddy's like, well, what's your ratio? And he's, he's just getting into archery too. I'm like, I, I don't know, man. I just, if my pin settles, sure. if my pin steady yeah. and it settles then, but yeah, I'm totally down to learn here. And if I, if I need to swap my weights around on my, um, on my stabs, you know, so be it. Sure. And it's, it all comes down to, again, a personal preference thing. You know, the way that I go through a setup is I'll start by choosing my lengths, mm -hmm. which the rule of thumb for that, I would suggest running the longest front bar that you feel comfortable with, whatever that is for you personally, the longer, the better hundred percent, you know, longer lever arm means you, you also get to run less weight. So, uh, keep that in mind. But uh, once I have my lengths figured out, then I'll go on to my weights and I'll start with, uh, you know, no, no arrow, not drawing the bow, just good neutral grip on the riser and see what that bow wants to naturally do. You know, different bows will do different things. Like for example, PSE risers are generally more top heavy. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas Matthews Hoyts, they, they like to sit, you know, relatively level without any weight on them. So I'll figure out my, forward and backward balance do you like the bow to stay level on the shot do you like it to slowly fall forward and in order to accomplish that you can play with the weight front and back why i personally like i run slightly more than two times the amount of weight on the back and the reason behind that is i want that bow to perform almost like a pendulum once i get to full draw i want that sight picture to be generated super duper quick so I can get into my shot process faster. Whereas if I'm fighting that front weight to get my peep sight housing alignment, those are precious seconds that are, that are wasted on an animal that could potentially be moving out of my shooting lane, if that makes sense. It does. And so I guess, um, you know, if you're you got, you got me wanting, you got me wanting to go to the range and shoot my bow now. Cause I'm getting, I'm getting my target, my target acquisitions pretty quick. And I'm now I'm just curious to see what, I mean, obviously I'm probably, am I probably going to shoot high if I swap the weights around? Cause that's going to put more weight on the back. Is that going to cause yep, me to shoot high? For sure. Yeah. And so, you know, I wouldn't mind, um, shooting a little bit higher, but, um, yeah, you got me wondering what that, what that effect would do on my hold and stuff. And, and I, you know, I kind of like it's kind of the opposite with me and arrows and, and broadheads with my bow. When I get, get it to where it's just, you know, just sitting where it wants, I really don't like screwing with it. Um, yeah, but yep. on the arrow so aspect, I, would, uh, I, I, I all day long, I'll keep, you know, screwing with shit until it doesn't work. But, um, 
Yeah, so I, I, I got to try that out because if there's a rule of thumb, there's probably a rule of thumb for a reason. Do you know what that reason would be? I mean, like you said, you're fighting more weight up front. I mean, and you're keeping the back weight towards your center of gravity more. I mean, what's the deal there? So generally when you have a bunch of weight out front, what you'll find is you, you'll fall out of the target to the bottom, which is already a very common problem problem for a lot of people right. without having to worry about stabilizer weight is just, you know, hovering below the target. Right. So being able to combat that by, by letting that bow sit more, more naturally level, uh, just the ergonomics of the way a riser is designed. It's, it's meant to sit, sit level, you know what I mean? Rather mm -hmm. than, than wanting to tip forward. So the, the ideal balance for me personally is <clears throat> I like my bow to almost hover level at the shot. So again, that's why I put a little bit more weight on my back bar and I've got two different bows right now and I've got them set up pretty dang similar as far as, as weights and lengths, but, uh, getting that bow to, to do what you want on the shot is, uh, it's all personal, you know? So you have to figure out mm -hmm. kind of, kind of what feels best for you. And that's, that's the, the forward backward balance. Now, when we get into the lateral balance side to side again we're we're introducing that same starting point of a, a good neutral grip on the riser and seeing what that bubble level wants to do and i always do this with one fewer arrows in my quiver than it will hold because you know hopefully we're shooting one of those arrows <laughs> you and me are identical <laughs> i do that same yep. shit yeah okay. it's details man i mean you can get as deep deep down as you want you know and once you get that get that bubble to sit in the middle, um, you accomplish that. Generally, you're not going to buy more than one length of bar. You know, 99% of people are going to choose, you know, two bars and, and go from there, which is totally fine. You know, you have, again, two more variables to play into that balance being the weight and the angle of your bracket. So generally, you start pretty close to that two-to-one ratio and, and get that vertical, you know, forward-backward balance set. And then for that horizontal balance, you're manipulating the angle of the bar in conjunction with the ground. So the horizontal balance, anytime you get that bar closer to parallel with the ground, you're again, increasing the lever arm. So you're essentially multiplying the effect of the weight that's on that back bar. So that's going to be kind of your, kind of your macro balance where you're side to side your angle towards or away from the riser is your micro balance if that makes sense no it, it does make sense and and this is all stuff i've been wanting to hear and, and learn about personally because i've like i said i've only been in this this stabilizer sidebar back bar game for you know two years and haven't really had someone that's just you know been able to have this conversation with me so i can really learn about it but um so i've only been learning through my trial and error <laughs> probably more error than trial but sure and i mean that's yeah, that's, I mean, that's kind of the same thing that how I figured all this out. And, you know, having unlimited stabilizers and weights helps that. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, it's it's been a been a process to, to figure all this out and, and to articulate it into a way that people can actually use. You know, you can be the smartest person in the world, but if nobody knows what the hell you're talking about, it doesn't do any good. Right. Well, I just, I've, I've always, you know, honestly, people are like, well, what's a stabilizer for? I get that question. I, I've done a few videos where I've got that question, right? And and I've done a few videos where it, it basically, I, I break down what a stabilizer does. It's basically in the name. But also another important thing, and you kind of touched on it earlier, is, is I don't want to feel the vibration of my bow. I just 
don't like it. Guys are like, well, it doesn't matter. That's just a creature comfort. That's just this or that. Well, I personally, you know, if I pay 1500 bucks for a freaking bow, I better barely or not at all feel that bow go off pretty much. And I just, I want everything to be like, I just don't, I don't even want to know the bow that went off until it went off. Like if I can sure. feel the vibration that just, it just, it's, it's not attractive. It's unattractive to me when I feel a bow that just vibrates in the hand. So how much of your like product development and your design is built around anti-vibration? So we got, we got pretty lucky and I, I got, uh, I believe it was like four different samples of different materials to, to see how they would affect vibration. And we, we settled on it really quick because the, the one that stood out actually got better with time. And yet, hold on, that's pretty cool. But uh, the more you, you shoot your bar, the material will actually break down from its original shape and fill in the nooks and crannies within that carbon tube hmm. and essentially become more functional and more efficient over time, which was pretty awesome because, you know, you, you want something to get better as you use it more or you definitely don't want it to decrease in performance, which, you know, we nailed and relatively quickly so i mean we hmm. we did the the you know the sound test with uh it was just a you know a phone app because i'm not a millionaire you know this is a this is a passion project that was started with blue collar money essentially um so we we did that we checked for you know additional sound started from the baseline of the bow without anything on it. Mm -hmm. And essentially what we, we came out with is it didn't add anything to the bow, um, <clears throat> which is, you know, which is pretty good. Um, a lot of the, I mean, you see all these crazy stabilizers from years past with the, I mean, you know, the over-engineered type things that just look ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, we didn't want to sacrifice that, that sleek, look i'm using your word there but uh we don't want to sacrifice that that exterior profile for something that would would change the dynamics of the bow so we got really lucky in regards to that material and uh, how it's it's actually it pulls vibration from the bow the way that it's inside the bar is is also part of the design but uh depending on the length of the bar they're they're pulling vibration the same so i mean we we played with the amount of material in each bar to to accomplish the same vibration dampening you know mm. so our eight inch bar is the same as our 20 inch bar which is is pretty cool yeah no that's that's really interesting because if you, you think that there'd be more alum I don't know if either be more vibration in a smaller stab than there would be a longer stab, but you're saying that the definitely benefits, not the, the, the benefits the same on the 20 versus the eight. No, I mean like just for an example, we're, we're toying around with, uh, you know, since I'm working at the pro shop, there's, there's a couple guys there that shoot target archery. And I'll, I'll mm -hmm. tell you this, if, if you dislike vibration, do not buy a target bow or even shoot <laughs> one ever. It's insane, dude. Mm -hmm. I made a 30 inch bar for, for one of the guys there. And, he put on his bow. He's like, yeah, this is cool. Uh, he's like, do you want to shoot it? I was like, okay, sure. So I shoot it. And the amount of vibration is insane. It's a 30 inch bar, but he's like, yeah, this is, this is what target guys like. They, they like the feedback after the shot. Really? Like, that is horrible. I don't like that at all. But yeah. I mean, this dude is, I mean, he's, 
he's a 19 year old prodigy he's on the matthews pro staff and he shoots vegas and all this other crazy shits hmm. so i mean i'd imagine he knows what he's talking about but uh yeah it was crazy i mean you think about it you make something so long and, and there's a, a limit to the technology that's out there as far as you know you you walk this line between vibration dampening and brittle you know you make something stiffer it's going to disperse vibration faster but you get to a certain point where you fall off the cliff and you know you could potentially snap that bar off if it's too stiff that makes sense and so i guess what if, if someone start wanting to start adding weight and i've i've just done this where i'm like you know i'll basically do stuff at the gym and then i'll try and get stronger there or i'll shoot more and build up muscles that way but if someone's wanting to add weight um, what's the best way to really start doing that? Cause eventually, you know, you're going to burn your shoulder out pretty quickly. Once you start adding weight, I mean, a lot goes a long ways when you're adding weight and that top shoulder muscle there, as you're holding your arm out, that top shoulder muscle there just starts to burn. <laughs> um, sure, yeah. what do you have any tips or ideas for folks that are wanting to start to add weight or how much they should start adding and stuff like that? Sure. So I get to get the bow balance to where you like it from, you know, that, that general two to one ratio, we're pretty close in there and get to a, a distance at the range. That's about two thirds of your, your maximum effective range. So, you know, you gotta, let's just throw numbers out. You have a hundred yard max effective range and set up a target at 60 that you can keep your pin, you know, relatively close to or inside of and watch what that pin does. What we're wanting to see is the amount of movement from that pin slow down and tighten up. So you get to this point when you add too much weight that that pin is going to slow down, but it's also going to open up and move more. What that means is that we've essentially, we've overrode our brain's ability to subconsciously control what our body is doing. And I like to equate that to like driving a truck with really big tires on the highway. The more you try, the worse it gets. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's just, it's just hard, harder to handle. I mean, harder to sure. basically keep between the lanes. Yeah. And this is totally, I mean, you have to know what's going on. You can't pick up a bow for the first time and expect to recognize your pin flow pattern and, and, you know, diagnose what's going on there. So you need to spend some time and figure out kind of what your pin flow naturally does. I mean, everybody's float is a little bit different just naturally. I mean, that's, that's part of archery. We're not able to keep our pin hundred percent stationary. Um, so there's going to be movement there all the time. It's just figuring out how much movement you generally see. And we're trying to shrink that and slow it down. You know, you'll, you'll find a point where that, that kind of clicks for you. And when you pass past that point, again, that's going to be slow and, and big. Um, another good indicator that you have too much weight on is, again, if you're dropping out of the bottom of the target. Hmm. Well, I, I bought a, a device a while ago. To, I, mean, I started do, using it for uh, – I wanted to start using it for bow reviews, but I started doing it for um, just accuracy and learning, you know, where I was Mantis. at. Stuff. Yes, and that thing has been yep. the biggest um, – I don't know – I love it. I straight those up are freaking crazy. love that thing. Yeah, it's been one of the nuts, best things man. for me. Have you ever thought about using one of those um, in your testing? Because, I mean, it was – shit, dude, it was only like 250 bucks, And the amount yeah. of benefit I've got from it um, 
I really like it. And for someone that really breaks down what their shooting is and stuff like that, it's been yeah. not instrumental, but it's it's been a game changer. Maybe maybe it is instrumental, but it's it's seriously is a game changer for me. No, oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, we've got a couple of those at the shop, and uh, I played with them a little bit, and it's 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 kind of one of those things that you have to take a step back and be willing to take critique in order to improve. Um, which you know maybe maybe more difficult for some people than others, but you know I, I like to look at myself as as a student of the game and right you know learn from from my shortcomings in order to you know continue to improve. So seeing physically seeing what your pin is doing at full draw is really cool because the only other way to do it is to have your buddy record <laughs> through your peep site which right. i've also tried to do and it's very difficult <laughs> right but i mean that's technology is insane man like the amount of things that are coming out now is just it's crazy but it's it's a cool time to to speed up the learning curve and you know i mean it's it's a really good resource to, to really figure out what's going on. And, and you can hundred percent utilize that for your stabilizer setup. I mean, I don't know how many pro shops generally have those, but not many. it might be worth, uh, <laughs> yeah, it might be worth asking, asking your shop or, you know, if you're willing to, to eat that 200 bucks, like it's the best investment you can make is, you know, improving your skills. I'm just shocked that it hasn't caught on because it's been around for a few years, I think. And then it, I started seeing ads for it over a year ago. And then finally, I'm like, you know, I got the idea of using it in my YouTube videos. I'm like, man, that would be kind of cool to kind of do a review of just, you know, what the bow, each bow is doing for me as a shooter on the shot as I aim, you know, maybe at 20 yards or I just aim. But sure. um, it's, it's also been an eye opener because I get to see how steady I am. And then I'll toss it on my friend's bows and I'll see how steady they are. But as far as actually seeing like the pin float, um, actually using that data and then applying it has been a struggle for me because I don't, I'm, I'm learning how to interpret and learning how to understand it. And so um, I might have to be getting a hold of you next time I'm shooting through it. I'm like, okay, what do you, what do you see here? Because I noticed like through mine, I, I float around, I float around the target. Um, and I'm trying to just visualize what my pin's doing as I'm, as I'm talking here, but I want to say that it's, it probably is falling out the bottom. Um, and then that's probably for me not shooting as much as I should be, but maybe that's from that too much weight in the, in the front that you're talking about too. Cause I want to say that I am falling out the bottom, but the stability scores are like 98, 99, yeah. 99 when I'm, when I'm fresh. And then they drop to like 94, 92 when I, you know, get 40, 50 arrows in, but um, I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just really, really interesting. And then hearing, you know, what, what you can do with the stabs and the weights and then the, the, the ratio, um, you might, you might've just sent me down my next rabbit hole for, for my testing and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. And I mean, it's, it's hundred percent normal to have a vertical pin float. You know, not everybody's pin is going to, to hover laterally on the target. You know, it's, it's pretty normal to have have a vertical pin float and you're you know below on above on below i'm just referring to the tar target so i mean it's all it's all figuring that out for yourself and right you know having that that mantis thing is is going to make that a lot easier because you can physically see it um but i mean it's it's i call it the boring stuff you know blind bailing working on shot execution, watching your pin float, you know, get it 10 yards, watch what that thing's doing where you don't have to worry about, you know, 
making a bad shot or missing the target. And right. you don't even, that's some of those cool things that you don't even have to shoot. You know what I mean? Well, and, and a lot of guys are like, well, I hang below the target. I'm like, well, no, you probably have target panic. <laughs> yeah. So that's a really common thing. And, and yeah. I don't want people to think that they're going to, you know, solve that just by buying a stab. But, um, you know, I mean, I've struggled with hanging low because of target panic for years. And then I started, you know, really digging, d- digging deep, deep into the, uh, Joel Turner stuff and then, um, buying a hinge and all that stuff has helped me hold yep. on target and stuff. But, um, you know, if this is something that you're fighting and this is maybe adding into your target panic, it, it can maybe help it, help it out a little bit, but really it's a mental, it's a mental ish, issue there. But, um, sure. so I kind of want to get into, um, uh, some hunts that I've got coming up. I don't know what you got, but, um, I've got a Wyoming antelope hunt. And I'm going to be using, um, I'll, I'll be using your stabs on it. You know, I want to, I want to get some infield experience with your stabs on top of uh, 3d shoots. And so for a, for an antelope hunt that really, that really widens, you know, what you can use. Cause you're, I'm, I'm not going to be sitting in a water hole for an antelope. Yeah. I just, I can't do it. I, I don't feel good about it. Other people can do it. I don't judge them for me. I practically feel guilty. I just, I got a spot <laughs> in stock. I can't do it. And yep, I'm, I'm the same. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm not, you know, I don't want to go out with a 20 inch bar or anything, but, um, you know, that really leaves the, leaves it wide open for what you can really do. So what would yep. be your, uh, what would be your perfect like antelope setup? Well, that's funny that you said that 20 inch bar, cause that's, what's going to be on my <laughs> bow for antelope. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've, I've rocked that. We just came out that 20 inch bar uh, this April. And, uh, you know, the idea was, was something that the guys can put on their bow and, uh, just go rock the rock, the mountain 3d stuff, mm-hmm. uh, as from a recreational standpoint. And, you know, I've, I've been shooting that thing. Um, I've got it on my Matthews right now, which is, is a pretty heavy bow. Um, so that's kind of, I decided that that's going to be my antelope bow since it's, it's heavy. I've got a 20 inch front bar, and a 10 inch back bar um, shooting pretty light arrows the lightest arrow that i've ever shot um so it's it's going to be interesting i'm really curious to to see what those arrows are going to do but i mean you you need every advantage for for shooting on a spot and stock antelope hunt you know it's it's right. one of the few hunts where long range accuracy is is 100 a factor you know you have wind you have i mean you get to 60 on an antelope you're doing pretty dang yeah good for yourself you know yeah so i mean it's it's a real thing and you know that that aspect of it is is one of the reasons why i, I love antelope hunting it's it's probably my favorite hunt of the year which is uh kind of crazy when you think about sweating your ass off and pulling cactus out of your elbows but uh, I, I love it man yeah I've i mean got... it's it's something that really tests you in a lot of different ways yeah, I think I can use whatever weapon I want. I got to check my tag again. My uncle uh, told us what to put in for over in Wyoming, and we did. And we drew. Did you do tag. the uh, the special tag? No, uh, uh-uh. no. We drew. I had zero points, and uh, okay, we, we drew like one of the worst, easiest units to get. <laughs> no, whatever. There's plenty of antelope. Yeah, there, but yeah. I think I, that pretty sure you can hunt archery and then rifle starts right after that and you can use the same tag yeah so our starts october 1st i think okay. um and it it's basically c- congruent with with deer which we 
we're anticipating to draw a deer, not draw the antelope, but we didn't draw the deer. We oh, the I remember seeing that. Yep. I yeah, that. man. I was like, I'm, I'd rather shoot it honestly a mule deer than an antelope because it's just I don't know. There's more meat, and I like the meat more on a, on a on a mule buck. But oh, um, dude. Well, I mean, if you're going to only hunt antelope, I don't think there's a better place than Wyoming. You know, I mean the right just the the amount of animals is, is great. And I mean, that's, that's why I, another reason why I really love antelope hunting is, you know, you don't have to spend an entire week looking for the damn things. So, you know, <laughs> you're spending an entire week scaring them away. Right. Well, the only reason I, w- I wouldn't use a, a, a bow is because my dad and, and my uncle are both using rifles and they say usually after the second or third day in that unit, they, the antelope get really spooky. Um, oh man and yep. so you know i'm thinking well maybe i'll give you know one day or i don't know maybe because i don't have a lot of time we're only gonna be there for i think a few days and sure so I'm just, I'm i would totally to use out. a rifle during rifle season yeah yeah because everybody's going to be shooting down with a rifle i'm out there with a stick yeah i don't know if it'll have work. you ever uh have you ever been rifle antelope hunting yeah uh it took me 13 years in oregon to draw a decent tag not even a great tag okay. and um I mean, I, I've done it we killed, we both killed antelope and it was, it was fun and everything. I mean, I killed like a 13 and a quarter inch goat, which for Oregon's, nice. you know, not huge, but it's, it's, you know, probably an average goat for Oregon. Sure. Um, yep. but I mean, you know, I, I went there thinking, you know, I put, <laughs> I put, I passed up the biggest antelope we saw cause it was only like 14 and a half. And, um, I I told my dad I'm like 15 or 15 is the goal. I didn't wait 13 years to shoot a dink, and then <laughs> and then so we see this one, and he's like, it might go 15. It's like opening morning, and I'm like, might isn't for sure. And so I passed on it, and he crosses over the Nevada border or, or uh, South border, whatever I forget where we're at, but uh, passes over the border, so we can't even shoot him now if we wanted to. And that turned out to be the biggest goat that anybody we saw shot or anybody or any goat that we saw. And it was probably, it was a heavy, it was a heavy, like pushing 15, but heavy. And I'm like, Dang. I probably should have shot that buck, but yeah, those heavy boys usually score really good. Yeah. So I, I shot a pretty little heart shaped 13 and a quarter inch buck and, and, uh, on the fourth, fifth day or something like that and headed home. Um, oh, wow. but it was fun. It was fun. And cool. And, and I don't, I don't want to add a bunch of pressure on our Wyoming hunt or anything, but, and it would be nice to get out. I, I said last year is the worst year I had in, in, in the woods in maybe ever. I don't think I killed, I didn't kill anything but a spring bear. And, Dang. uh, so my freezer's like getting pretty damn empty. So I'm thinking about just like putting my pride aside for a year and just killing everything with almost everything with a rifle. I'm not going to elk hunt with a rifle, but, um, sure. it, it's operation put meat in the freezer this year. There you go, dude. Yep. But what about you? But, oh, I've got quite a marathon coming up. So I've got archery antelope. Um, like I said, Brandon McDonald's going to come out and hunt that one with me. So we should have some pretty cool video of that one. Yeah. Um, that guy could shoot a mile too. <laughs> he could. Yeah. It's, yeah. That's pretty funny. We talked about that. But, <laughs> um, yeah. Then I drew uh, the only tag I drew was a high country archery deer tag here in colorado so i'll do that and then uh go over the counter for elk here for archery uh october going down to texas for whitetail and pigs and then november yep and then uh nebraska for whitetail as well 
Nice. You know, Nebraska, I don't hear a lot about Nebraska, but everybody I, I know that is it's good. From don't there, talk about Nebraska. Exactly. It's like, dude, you keep your mouth shut. <laughs> there's some, there's nothing but small deer and they taste horrible. Don't yeah. go there. Yeah. That's what I've heard. That's what I've heard. I'm trying to weasel yeah. my way in there. <laughs> I, oh, I, yeah. I, I know one dude that, that has family over there and I haven't got the go ahead yet, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, and I have a buddy moving to, um, or my uh what's he kansas yeah he's moving to kansas and he's he's talking about maybe having me over i'm like man you don't have to try get very your hard. ass out there dude yeah yep yeah and uh that's even something to- that's super you know i grew up here like in colorado I, I hunted pretty much only you know western stuff mule deer and elk for 15 years and uh my buddy was lucky enough to marry a girl that uh was from nebraska and her dad has a 640 acre farm Holy so we crap. uh yeah 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 it's a big place and then we've got so we've got three total properties that we're the only ones that get a hunt out out there oh. um yeah it's pretty rough yeah but man i tell you that shit is addicting you get into whitetail hunting and it's i don't i just i don't know how to describe it it's it's 100 different than than hunting out here you know there's there's no you don't have control of the animal and you, you can't, you can't get in on them. You have to, all your prep is done before the season, you know, and cameras and setting stands and and trying to pattern what they're going to do. And then when that, when that opening day comes, it's time to just get there and, and sit. And I think that's one of the things that I really like is there's, there's such a simplicity to it. And the fact that you only have one job and that's to, (laughs) Sit Basically still for me, <laughs> for me, it's to not fall asleep. I mean, that's, that's a very difficult job. I've, some of my best naps have been in the tree stand. I'll tell you that, but, uh, that's awesome. It's a ton of fun, man. I mean, uh, it's been really cool. We've been out there. This will be our fifth year and we've, we've been able to, you know, not shoot small stuff and watch the, the number of big deer continue to get more plentiful every year. I mean, I, I saw the, the biggest deer I've ever seen in real life last year and yeah. happened to be a full draw at 60 yards with one of my mechanical broadhead blades that was popped open that I noticed. Oh. <laughs> so yeah, that was, that was a bummer, man. So I, I had to let down and, you know, close the freaking blade and, and try to get back to full drop. But I mean, that was, that was peak rut. So he wasn't he hanging wasn't, out. He had stuff to do. So what is your, uh, what is your setup this year? So for antelope, like I said, I've got the Matthews Verdicts, uh, shooting 76 pounds with the 20 inch front bar, 10 inch back bar. Um, I run Hamsky hybrid hunters on, on all my stuff. Um, on that bow, I've got an Excel AccuTouch carbon, uh, body with a spot hog double pin housing on it. Um, that's a pretty cool. Setup. Say, how do you I like, like that? that? Cause I've been wanting to maybe Frankenstein something together. Yeah, that's exactly what I did. And I mean, that, that, that double pin spot hog scope, as far as I'm concerned, it's, it's one of the best, you know, hunting scopes on the market in the sense that you have such a clean sight picture with multiple points of reference. So that's kind of what I wanted, but I didn't want that Matthews to be even heavier with that spot hog you know, the full sight on there. I mean, spot hog is a lot of things, but lightweight is definitely not one of them. (laughs) 
So I, you know, I ordered an extra indicator needle from Excel and chopped it in half. So I have two indicator needles on my Excel site for my two pins on uh-huh. my spot hog. Um, that bow, it's ridiculous. I mean, like I said, I'm shooting a super light arrow and I think it's like 383 grains with uh, 190 up front. Uh, 311 feet per second of my 27 and a half inch draw. So I think it's going to be pretty, pretty perfect for antelope, but not much else. Hell yeah. Yeah. What, what did you say your overall weight was? Uh, for what? For the, the arrow? Yeah. Yeah. 383. Yeah. You're going to be smoking those things down range. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to try the, uh, uh, the severs out of that thing. I just, uh, I don't know what I can get away with as far as a broadhead for, for shooting that fast. And that's generally, that's about 30 feet faster than I like my setups to be. But, uh, I mean, my buddy at the shop had some, uh, I think they're victory rip HVs, which is like a super light micro shaft. Mm-hmm. And I'm running the ethics, ethics components up front. Um, so, I mean, they're, they're pretty stout, man. And I, when I was, when I was sighting it in, like just for an example on that, on my sight tape i can clear 150 yards with my top pin so i was uh (laughs) yeah (laughs) so we have a caribou at the shop and there's you know there's normally it's a hundred yard outdoor range but if you shoot from under the balcony uh, under the patio at the building you can get 140 yards um yeah so i was shooting 140 yards i put together a nice like four inch group in this caribou's leg unfortunately Hmm. um but yeah, one of those arrows hit the the rebar in the leg and it, it stayed together. I mean, that it broke the thing components on the front end mushroomed, mm-hmm. but, uh, I mean, I, I would be super confident in, in hitting something with that arrow and knowing that it's not going to, you know, explode and shatter into a million pieces. I think it would hundred percent do what it's intended to do, which is good. Um, but that's, I mean, that's hundred percent not the setup that I'm used to running. You know, my other setup, I got a, the PSE carbon, the 21 model, mm-hmm. I think it's the Mach one. Yeah. yeah. I like but that. I got a, Oh dude, I love it. That's, that's just funny. I bought it on accident. If there's such a thing, <laughs> but, yeah. uh, that was my boat yeah, pick but, of the year last year, I think. Yeah. Don't, uh, don't bid on eBay bows if you don't intend to buy them. <laughs> but uh yeah that's that's gonna be my elk and mule deer bow it's a you know 80 pounder uh, i'm shooting a axis five mil with uh, the ethics components and iron wheel solid uh that's a 500 grain arrow going at 275 which is which is more to what i'm used to shooting um you know anything between 275 and 285 yeah. as far as feet per second that's that's kind of my wheelhouse and yep where i can get those broadheads to tune and you now i got that thing shooting darts i've got a black gold five pin on that so i can still get you know some decent distance for practice out of it uh with that heavy arrow and my short draw length i'm kind of limited in that regard to you know what i can generally get out of them but uh then get about 120 out of that for for practice with that five pin which uh this is the first year that i've ran a multi-pin in maybe 10 years so it's definitely taken some getting used to but so how do uh, you how do you like that rest that you're using the hamski is that that one doesn't have it's not full it's is that one cockable or not cockable not cockable so it's got the 
like the little whale tail shaped uh, yeah. blade on it. Yep, I've had that so, one. Yep. The only downside that I've ever found is um, I think we posted a video on our on our Instagram a while ago of my buddy drawing laying down and then sitting up and shooting. Mm-hmm. You can't do that with the hamski, but uh, right. I've never had a problem as far as the arrow not ending up where it's supposed to. Um, and I mean, the, the obvious benefit is that they're, they're indestructible. I mean, I've had the same rest on my bow for five years and that's, you know, given a minimum of 40 days of hunting and, you know, 500 arrows a week generally is, is what I end up shooting. And, you know, I've never had an issue with that rest. Yeah. You know, I just, I'm just curious. Cause if you're going to be stalking antelope and stuff, I, I just, I can't not do, if it's not cockable and I don't have really tight arrow containment, I just, cause I don't want my arrow flopping around as I'm, as I'm stalking or sure, I, just, sure. I just, I can't get around. Um, so I went with the race, uh, the race, the, uh, ACE rip cord, um, the, okay, or the yeah. lock, excuse me, the lock. Um, yeah. The limb driven one. Yeah. And, uh, probably been my favorite rest I've ever owned, but if Hamski had, I think they do have one actually a cockable um model i might be wrong no that's um which one am i somebody else yeah there's it might be uh yeah shit i don't remember but i know what you're talking yeah and uh but ripcord was one of my favorite brands growing up so i i switched to the lock and it's been a solid freaking rest and i can turn my bow upside down my arrow just pretty much almost stays put and i put like um haven't my felt fell off my bottom housing i put more there but i have felt that goes on the bottom of my um site housing where the MRT ring is. And I, I, I'm actually looking at a picture of it right now. And, um, so when I turn my bow upside down, when I'm stalking, cause a lot of times for whatever reason, I turn my bow upside down or I turn it sideways and then I'll go up and the arrow will hit the bottom of my sight. So it's silent when I am stalking and stuff like that. And it just, for me, it works really well for me, but everybody's different. Sure. So, yeah, totally. And that's, I mean, that's a good thing. Is there something for everybody out there and, you know, you got to figure out what works for you and, one of the ways that I kind of, you know, combat that, the arrow that it will move around within that, that rubber cage. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm super fancy. I just take gorilla tape and put it on the shelf of my bow and that, that resolves the issue. <laughs> that would, I never even thought about that, but yeah, I've, I've looked I at mean, arrow can, shelf holders and, and all sorts of stuff. And I'm like, man, I just, I can solve all this with a rest. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, they come with, the rest comes with that little like cradle thing for your arrow, which is kind of a joke because yeah. they stay on for maybe five minutes. But, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I started doing that gorilla tape thing cause it's slightly thicker than normal duct tape. And it also is almost impossible to get off unless you really try hard. Um, but I just fold a piece, you know, sticky to sticky and, and uh, put that underneath, you know, the top layer, so you get a little bit extra cushion, and you can buy an entire roll for the price of one of those little shelf pads. Right. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, I'll have to maybe look into getting that because I do like the hamskies and stuff like that, and they make good rests, and there's they make really good rests. And um, but it's just hard for me to get away from from the uh, the ones I've liked for so many years. It's just you get into you get into a product that it's funny. I'm supposed to test out all this shit, but there's a few different products i don't <laughs> i just stick, oh yeah for sure i just stick with them but i've actually been thinking about buying a new bow lately too you know i got to change up the biggest component of my whole setup my bow um too much yeah. before season but i don't totally. know man it just 
the the ability to be able to tune and not that I would, but to be able to tune without a press has Bowtech for me. I've been looking heavy at Bowtech the last couple of years just because of the cam lock system. And yep, that's pretty cool. And then um, Elite came with that other thing where you can change the uh, the alignment of limb pockets with a screw without a press. That's pretty wild too. And you know, my experience with Elite is it's zero, but uh, you know, I, <laughs> I set one of those up the other day. And that was super cool, you know, for paper tuning. There's no shims, there's no yokes. You literally, it's a, a worm gear screw, basically, huh. that shifts your entire limb pocket left and right, uh, which is pretty crazy. I mean, it's the amount of shit that people are thinking of now is insane. But I mean, I don't know how much else they can do to the performance of the bows. You know, tunability as an archery tech is something that I will never dislike. I think that maybe tuning in the future might be a dying a dying skill, honestly, with as easy as it's becoming. Yeah, I'm just waiting for PSE to get rid of those stupid plastic shims. I think that's the last thing that needs to go away. If if PSE had the cam lock adjustments, I don't know if I'd ever switch away from PSE. I, it would be really yeah. hard for me to do it. I don't know. I mean, I've just from working with that Matthews for the last couple of years too, like the, if you're going to do shims, like that's pretty damn easy. Those top mm -hmm. paths that they have, like, I don't know if it could get much easier. The new primes have those big silver ones. Those are pretty legit too. But I mean, that's, I mean, that's about as easy as it gets as far as shims, you know, the bigger you can make them, the, the better in right. my opinion. Right. Well, uh, well, I don't know. Um, if you have anything else, Earl, that you wanna that you wanna cover, but I am um, gonna have to go definitely hit the range here because you gave me some stuff to think about, especially swapping those weights. Um, and that's funny you notice that because I'm just going out and testing the shit, but um, <laughs> and no one said anything. <laughs> no, I mean that's it's a it's a gift and a curse, you know, from from going to all the events that we go to, um, just noticing people's people's bars and how they're set up it's it's funny to see i mean what else are you gonna do you know you don't you have so much information out there now like who do you how do you weed through it you know and i mean for me personally it's it's been a lot of you know trial and error and experimentation and you know i realized that that having the resources as far as the different links and stuff at my disposal has really cut down on that learning curve and more importantly the, the expense curve but hopefully that that uh, the information that I've, I've given, you know, today will, will help some guys out. And, you know, also so we have on the website, there's a full article library on there that I've got some really good stuff as far as choosing your setup and, you know, some, some basic stuff to, to get you pointed in the right direction. We have a stabilization 101 article and a stabilization 201 article to, to really kind of get you going and get you some information to, to use. Sweet. Well, I know that um, I'm definitely going to be trying some stuff out and definitely hit me up whenever you start selling those, uh, those brackets. Cause I, I might keep my back bar on there if, uh, if you can, if I can get one before season, but if, uh, if not, I'll probably just rip it off. Cause it just gives me anxiety at this point. <laughs> no, dude, I've got, uh, I think I've got 10 prototypes that are, that I'll have, uh, within the next few weeks. So I'll try to get you one out and then we'll end up doing uh, it'll be a pre-order. Mm-hmm on those brackets. Um, and then, uh, I'm hoping like mid August, mid to, 
know, early, late August is, is kind of where we're at, which I know is really pushing it. But, uh, you know, I, I told my, my manufacturing guy that if he doesn't think that he can do them with this pre-order to just not do it, because I know that's that would really suck to, to spend the cash and then not end up with it for a season. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's gotta be a lot of money. So, um, I'm happy to test it out, man. And, and if, if, you know, I don't expect anything for free, if you want me to buy it, I'm happy to, I'm happy to pay for it. I want to support guys that are doing good things and making good products and you definitely, um, fit that category. So I appreciate it. And, and, um, yeah, I mean, very impressed with everything that you've, that you've, uh, put in my hands so far. So hopefully you can keep it up with these brackets. Cause I definitely think there's a need for them. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. And I mean, it's it's been super cool to to see the response that we have, and just to you know, when you work super hard on something and you see your hard work pay off, and you see people killing shit with your bars and and posting pictures and being super happy and mm-hmm. shooting the best groups that they have, like that's that's what's what's driving me to continue to to work so hard and sleep so little is you know get these get this company to grow and continue to teach people and have them get, you know, a positive experience from putting more time and more effort into their setups. And I think that's, you know, that's really, really the driving force behind this. You know, I've, this wasn't started as a means to, to make money and get rich. This was, you know, hundred percent passion. And, you know, that's another reason why we get everything from inside the country is, you know, we're supporting our economy and supporting our, our job market. And that's, you know, that's important to me and that's definitely not the fastest way to make a lot of money. I'll tell you that, but it's super important. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I know that I appreciate the, you know, the American made American sourced and stuff like that. And I think, I, I think people are, it's becoming more and more important to people as the years go by. Cause it's just seeing everything go to Mexico or China or whatever. It's just, I think people are really starting to pay attention to that stuff more, especially when they're shopping for stuff like this you know, that bino harnesses and stuff, you're getting a lot of options for American made companies nowadays. And it's just, it's really nice to kind of see the manufacturing come home, even if it is just like a mom pop operation or something like that. Um, the, the quality and the pride is just kind of going back into the product. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, that's, these things are built one at a time by hand. So, I mean, it's, it's not, they're not getting cranked out in a factory, you know, there's 90% of these things, they won't go in the mail without me looking at them. So yeah. You know, and I mean, we're one of the very few stabilizer companies, if any other ones that offer a no fault lifetime warranty. So, you know, if, if something happens, then you're getting your bar replaced. And I've even overnighted them to guys that are, you know, out on a hunt that should hit the fan and needed a new bar. Hmm. That's crazy. Well, that's kind of customer service is what, honestly, I think in order to be competitive anymore, um, especially on like a starting an operation, I don't know if it would be even feasible to not offer that kind of stuff. Cause it just seems like you have to have a good product, but then you have to have something else on top of it. <laughs> right, I mean, man. And I mean, people are working so hard for their money nowadays. You know, it's, I feel very, very grateful when they choose to support our brand and to purchase our stabilizers. And that's something that I take great pride in and, and knowing that, that they're supporting us. So we're, you know, we have to support them back. It's just, it's just how it goes. Yeah. Well, after hunting season, I'd love to get you back on here and talk about how your and I seasons went and what I found with the, you know, the stabilization versus last year. Cause last year I, I was definitely, um, I love, I love shooting on Hills more cause last year was the first year I actually used uh, a back bar and, and during a hunt 
And um, I really like the just the knowing that my pin's going to be right where it needs to be, or my bubble's going to be right where it needs to be, whether I'm canted or not canted or whatever. Like it just it just falls right in place. And so I like having that feeling, but um, it'd be nice to get that that peace of mind back that it's going to be where I need it to be every time. And so um, maybe I'll stick with it for another season. But it'd be interesting to to talk about it after season and just see what kind of successes we both have and and where we're at. Yeah, dude, for sure. And I'm, I got high hopes for not having to buy meat for a year. You know, I was able to do it last year. I'm still haven't bought meat since last August. So I yeah. mean, we're, we're doing, we're doing good. Oh man. Yeah. Well, I'm getting close to having to go to the store. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But we're right on dude. Oh, I appreciate it. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I appreciate you taking time and we'll definitely get you back on here sometime. Sounds good, man. All right. See ya. See ya. All right, guys, that's this episode of the podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you, Earl, for coming on to the show. If you haven't yet and you want to go check out Cutter Stabilizers, um, you can go to their Instagram at Cutter Stabilizers Official or go to their Facebook page, Cutter Stabilizers LLC or CutterStabilizers.com just to go to their website. But uh, you can get a hold of me. I can try and answer your questions for you. And I'm sure Earl's is totally open to answering questions. He's got really good customer service and he likes to field questions and, 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 and get people the information they need to make a good decision for what their setup needs. So outside of that, guys, I always appreciate you for listening. I've had a lot of really kind words lately, and I really hope that everybody is going into season tuned and prepared and in shape and practiced because it is coming up quick. We got less than two months to go, and I hope you guys are putting in the work now. So outside of that, appreciate you for listening, and I will see you on the next one. Bye.